Well, good morning, church. Uh, we're in the last message of the series, Heart and Soul. If you've missed some of the messages, you can check, them, check it out online at stonepointchurch.com. And I recommend you do that to kind of get caught up today because we are going to be taking a lot of practical steps here that uh, we can identify some idols in our life. We started talking about the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is our bodies. And the thing is, is when we think about our bodies and being the temple, a lot of times we just talk about the physical substance that goes into our body. But today, what I want to talk about is just the whole area of our body, the physical, mental, emotional, spiritual aspect aspect of it all. And I just want to lay that out so that we can start identifying idols that take over every part of our body. And so uh, we're going to take a look through uh, Colossians chapter 3 and uh, Matthew 6, and then we're going to just hopefully tie up some things that we can give you some practical ways to start really looking at your life and identifying idols. So before we start, let me pray, uh, and then we will get started. Father, I thank you uh, for today. God, I pray that you teach us something new. God, teach us how to look at your image, how to know you more, and to transform our hearts into your heart, God. Help us to realize the importance of uh, keeping care of our body, about destroying idols. God, just uh, teach us individually today what our idols are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So first and foremost, what I want to do is lay out that uh, my idols aren't the same as yours. My idols are completely different. So as I'm walking through some things up here, you may say, I don't struggle with that. Uh, it's not an idol, and that's okay. But I do ask that you uh, don't look at your spouse, you don't look at any of your kids, you don't look at your parents, and say, you know what, that was a really good point. Maybe you should listen. So I want you to realize that this message is for each and every one of us, but it's for you. And so as you're listening, I want you to process kind of in your own hula hoop. We talk about that in re-engage, right? Stay in the hula hoop and really process with God on what are some idols that you have that you can start identifying and really destroying. And then also, there's like four different camps that I think we've fallen into in uh, this series. One, you came into the series realizing that it's going to be about the temple and idols, and you have identified idols already, and it's no surprise to you that God has been telling you what your idols are, uh, and it's just something that you've not been able to uh, overcome yet. And so you may be in that camp. You may be in the camp that you came to the series and you've thought about some idols and certain ones have popped up. That's me. Like I've started wrestling with an idol of just time management and uh, exercise. Brandon's kind of talked to us about, uh, you know, trying to exercise throughout the uh, months and give us like 10 days where we need to do 10 days of exercise, 30 minutes a day. And, um, I realize my disdain for exercise. Like, I hate it. Uh, some of y'all are like, man, I, it relieves stress. No, it causes me stress. Uh, sometimes people are like, man, I feel so good afterwards. No, I don't. It doesn't matter how many times I go. Uh, I still hurt afterwards. It's not fun. And then, and then some are like, hey, I'll pay for your, uh, your membership. And I'm like, I'm not taking that challenge. You know, Brandon said last week, I'm a challenger. So you give me a challenge and I'll do it. I'm like, you lost your money. And it's no big deal to me. And so I just realized that my hold on the, the hatred for 
uh, exercise ends up being that I want to fulfill my time with things that matter with, for me, but don't matter for God. And so it's something that I'm wrestling with. And so it just kind of popped up in this series, and I pray that God's revealing some things to you. Now, you may be in a third camp that you've come in and you've uh, identified idols before now, and you have uh, overcome those idols, and you've been able to really uh, say, you know what, I have not identified any new ones yet. I'm still uh, making sure that the wall is put up for these other idols, and I'm really good, and that's awesome. And then there's a fourth camp. Some of y'all are like, I don't have idols. And I want to say, hold up, check your heart. Because it's not humanly possible to walk this earth and not have idols. And so if you've not been able to identify any idols in your life, then I hope today we can talk through some things because we all struggle with something, idolizing something that is created over the creator. Now, everything in this world is created. Our bodies, our homes, our marriage, our kids, our income, our, our work, everything is created, including time. God created time. And the moment that we start worshiping creation more than the creator identifies our idols that we have. And so I want to lay out five questions real quick that I'm going to walk through quickly and just um, hopefully be able to start a conversation that you can use these questions with you and God and you and others to see what are idols in your life. So the very first question is, is kind of following up Brandon's message last week was, is there anything that I should have in excess? Is there anything that I should have in excess? And we love to have excess. Like think about our culture. Our culture says to work, to climb the ladder, to to buy, to purchase, to store up things for yourself, to get the bigger home, to get the nicer car. And our culture screams excess. In fact, it has creeped into some of our into our churches and we talk about the prosperity gospel meaning hey if you have excess of materials or blessings then god is for you and if you don't then you are sinning or you're in trouble and god is is cursing you and that is the farthest away from the gospel that could be but our culture has creeped in And we start to really think about excess. Now, we can swing two ways when it comes to excess, okay? Like, let's just talk about food for a second. Some of us can go excess and eat a lot of food, and we call that gluttony. And we're like, okay, it's something that we don't really like to talk about, but it's something that we need to talk about. And we swing into, I have an excess of food because that's where I run to. That's what I cope with stress in life. But if you're not careful, you can swing the other way and starve yourself because of self-image. You desire to look like something that this world says you should look like, and so you starve yourself and don't eat food, and you eventually have swung the exact opposite. And so if we're not careful, excess in both ways is not good for us. And so I want to wrestle with that. Like, is there anything that we should have in excess? And we're going to start in Colossians in a second. And I do believe there is, but it's nothing of this world. It's nothing in this world. So we have to be careful with what we give our time and our resources and our attention to. Because the more we give uh, something excess in our life is when it becomes an idol. The second question is, is this harmful or hurting God? 
And you're like, hold up a second. Like, why do we start there? So I, wanna, I want to take you back to Jesus. And a Pharisee comes and talks to Jesus and says, what's the number one, what's the greatest commandment that we have? And he says, I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Like, you get what he just said. I want you to love God with your heart, with all of your emotions. I want you to love God with your mind, all of your intellect. I want you to love God with your soul, your spiritual worship. And I want you to love God with your strength, your actions, your physical body. Like, he talks about these four areas. And he says, I want you to love God with everything that you have. And so we have to look and see if I am giving something excess in my life, is it first and foremost destroying or hurting the relationship with God? Because that's our number one relationship that we should have. And so if it's hurting or harming God, which you're like, well, I can't hurt God. I can't physically hurt God. I can't really, I don't know if I've hurt him emotionally. But the thing is, is you can hurt his image here on earth. Let's take marriage as an example. Like a marriage is a covenant between a man and a wife, and it is God's direct reflection of the relationship between him and the church. And so if you idolize something that will destroy your marriage, it is hurting the image of God. If you idolize your marriage more than God, you're hurting the image of God. And so the moment that we start idolizing something is when we take the importance off of the creator and put it on his creation and we have hurt and harmed God. The second, the third question is, is this harmful or hurting others? And now you're saying, okay, what about me? I I get it. But take it back to the greatest commandment. First, again, it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor. Let's get these in order. Let's, Let's talk about how we should view others. Like Jesus says, love your neighbor. It's just as equal as loving God. And so he talks about it. If you are hurting others or harming others with an idol, then it is not good. Because the second commandment is to love your neighbor. And so let's take marriage again. If you uh, are pretty much having an affair on your spouse... That affair hurts your relationship with God, and it hurts your relationship with your spouse. And so this is something that we have to wrestle with. Like, is this thing that I'm allowing excess into my life hurting others, hurting my kids, hurting my spouse, hurting, hurting my friends, hurting my coworkers? And then fourth is, is this harmful or hurting me? Because I don't want you to say, well, it's love God and love others. Realize he tacks on love, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. So it's not that you love God, love others, and you let people walk on you. But you love others because you've experienced the love of God. So you know who you are in Jesus. You've gotten identity from him. You've experienced his love. So you love yourself well enough to change, to work out your salvation. And you do that by loving people. So he says, love yourself. And so is this harmful or hurting me? It's just a question we can ask. And then what kind of idol am I dealing with? Again, we need to come back to, is it a physical idol? Is it a mental idol? Is it an emotional idol? Is it a spiritual idol? And you might say, Brian, I didn't realize that something spiritual can be an idol. Well, let's take maybe reading the Bible. Like some people 
Try to get through the Bible in a year. Great goal to have, but if you're more concerned about the goal than you are the actual Word of God, you have uh, idolized something spiritual because it's not about how much you can squeeze into your reading. It's about knowing God more. It's about loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so if you're reading the Bible and you get through three or four chapters and you leave and you forget what you read 10 minutes from then, you're idolizing the Bible or the Word for the wrong reasons. And so, yes, spiritual things can become idols if we're not careful. So these are five questions that I kind of want to walk through today. And so as we're talking about Colossians, that you, are, that you're, that you can go back and you can read Colossians and you can start studying and, and really identify the idols using these five questions. And so we're going to start in Colossians 3.1 and we're going to get through this as quickly as possible. So if then you have been raised with Christ, and this is what I want to, to just start with. There are people in this room today that you know Christ, you have followed Christ, but then there are some that you have not. You may be checking out church for the first time, checking out Stone Point, and you're like, I want to see if this is if this is real or not. You may not have a relationship with God. And so this is why I want to cautious you with the, I don't have any idols in my life camp. Like if we're not careful, if we say, I don't have idols and I don't struggle with anything, do you have a relationship with God? Because the only way that you can start identifying idols in your life is to know the person that created everything. And he starts out, he says, if you have been raised with Christ, so if you are a follower of Christ and you know Christ and you have a relationship with him, then he will start showing you what you idolize in life. And if you don't believe you have any idols, then we need to have a conversation because you may need to to meet the creator of the universe and know that you're worshiping creation more than the creator. He says, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So where is this? Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So we're talking about heavenly things versus earthly things. And so we'll unpack that later on, but I want you to start processing this because the earthly things are the things that we're not supposed to set our mind on. We're not supposed to allow excess into our lives. It says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So we're talking about the time that we meet Christ uh, at the wedding feast. And then he goes on. He says, put to death. Put to death. Matt Chandler says this best, and I cannot quote it, but it doesn't say to uh, cover up, to sweep under the rugs, to pack it under your bed, to put it away on a shelf. It says to drag this thing out into the middle of the street and put it to death, publicly execute it. And then he lists things that we should not have excess in. And so we're going to walk through these things. I'm going to stop at the very first one here. So put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality. I'm going to stop here. I'm going to walk through these five questions real quick. And I want you to see how we're going to process these things. So sexual immorality, when it is in excess... We talk about this in Re-Engage. Re-Engage, we take a whole Sunday and a whole lesson to talk about sexual uh, intimacy among your spouse. And we, we say that if you swing excess to maximize sex, and so you're constantly thinking about it, you're constantly looking for it, this is idolizing it. And so think about it. But the person that idolizes it isn't 
uh, happy with their physical intimacy in life. And so they look for it elsewhere. Affairs, pornography, um, connections with people uh, other than their spouse. And you idolize it. It's not good in excess. And so God says it's between one man and one woman. And it's in the covenant of marriage. And then you can't swing the other way. You can't minimize it because the Bible's pretty clear. It says, hey, when the two come together as one flesh, don't withhold physical intimacy from each other except for prayer and fasting. And so those that minimize it, that don't think about it, this is excess in the other way because you're idolizing something other than, some, than what you should be doing in your marriage. God says, be faithful to one another. And the problem is if you have one that desires it and one that doesn't, then it's not in its right place. And so we need to find a middle ground. Keep going with sexual immorality. Is it harmful or hurtful to God? And again, if you are not living a pure marriage with your spouse, then you are giving a poor reflection of the relationship between God and and the church. If you maximize this idea of sex and you leave and you connect with another person or something other than your spouse, then you're saying God doesn't care enough about his church and he's going to be like every other God and leave the most important thing to him and go seek love somewhere else. And so it's harming God's image. Same way with minimizing it. If you're a person that minimizes it, then what you're saying is, is God is not important enough for me to love. I have found other things to fulfill my time with with my spouse, and that intimacy is not there. And so you're giving a poor reflection on what the church should be to God. Is it harmful for others? I don't think I have to answer that. Because yes, it causes uh, strife, anger, and chaos in marriage and division. Is it harmful for you? Yes. Anything outside of God's boundaries that he has set and allowed in marriage is harmful for you. And what kind of idol is it? It's definitely a physical idol. Maybe a mental idol. But this is how I want to walk through Colossians. And so I know I can't do that with every one of them. So what you're going to do is you're going to go home and you're going to study up on chapter three and you're going to ask yourself these questions. Is this an idol that I deal with? He goes on, he says, impurity. These are all our thoughts. So we're taking it from the physical to the mental, our thoughts. Do we have any impure thoughts about anything? Any of God's creation? Passion. What are we passionate about? Because what we're passionate about really can become an idol. If we're passionate about our work, then we can start doing more at work than we do at home. We can start doing more at work than we spend with God, and it becomes our idol. The same way is if you're not passionate enough about something, you become lazy. Evil desire, our nature, can become an idol. Our sin Nature can become an idol. And covetedness, our desire for other people's things, when we aren't content with what we have, then desiring and wanting more of somebody else's stuff is coveting. And he ends, which is idolatry. Like this is idolatry. All of these things are idolatry. 
And this is, he says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. This is why we are separated eternally from, from God, is because of our sin, because of our idols. This is, in these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. And now he's going to talk about more. We thought, okay, well, at least he didn't talk about my idol. Well, now he's going to talk about some more. He's going to say anger. Well, great, that gets almost every single one of us. Because if our natural response to everything that bothers us is anger, we may allow anger excess in our lives. We may, we, we may do too much. But then again, if we don't get angry about some things, we, we live a very passive life. And so we don't need it in excess. Anger, wrath, wanting to take revenge or give people what they deserve in a negative way. Malice, doing something malicious under the table, conniving, deceitful, at work, at home, manipulating. Slander, talking evil or negative about people. Gossip, and obscene talk from your mouth. I know some people that this is an art form, right? You know that person. It's, they're in your head right now. Possibly a comedian, right? I mean, I'm not even talking about cussing. I'm just talking about obscene talk in general. They, I mean, it just comes out of their mouth like an art form. And so it's, it's just all of these things that we wrestle with that we don't think are idols because they're not what we think the Bible says is an idol, which is a carved image. He says, do not lie to one another. Do not let your yes be yes and your no be no. Do not lie. Seeing that you have put off the old self, with its practices. So this is the first thing that I want to talk about. Idols are not carved images. Like we think that because of the Old Testament, they, they make a calf to represent God, or they make an Asher pole that, that represents another God. And we think, well, I don't have these little idols all over my house that represent God, because it's really what it is, is taking the created form, making a form of it, and saying this is God. That's why God doesn't want any image of himself anywhere because he's not like any other false gods on this earth. The problem is, is idols are not carved images. Idols are what takes our heart, our heart's desires to something other than God. So it's our heart's desires that are, that are not worshiping God. He continues on, he says, have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So what is okay to have excess in our life? Anything that reflects the image of God. Like the knowledge of the image of God, the creator. Anything that allows people to see that we worship the creator and then we want to, to be the hands and feet of him is okay to have excess in our life. And he goes on, he says, here there's not Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Like, do you realize that? Idols cause division. Idols cause division. Like, so be wrestling with these things, and if there's something in your life that causes division among your spouse, look at it. 
If there's something in your life that causes division between you and God, look at it, wrestle with it. Do you idolize it? Because I can guarantee you that if my spouse uh, had an affair on me because she uh, desired physical intimacy from another man, it would cause division among us. Idols cause division. There's no division in Jesus. Only unity. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. The very first thing that we should have excess of is compassionate hearts. So I want you to do a a trial. I want you to go back to your Facebook feed, okay? And this is where I'm really kind of getting a gut punch in here. Look back and say, hey, any of these posts that I've done, does it scream that I have a compassionate heart? Does everything... I say on social media show that I have a compassionate heart. That's tough. That's tough for me. Like, I don't even want to go back and look at my Facebook, even though I just challenged you to. Like, that's that's the problem that we have is because we don't have compassionate hearts. But God says, hey, put on. It's great to have an excess compassionate hearts for other people. Kindness. Humility, putting others above yourself, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one another has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, above all, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. In perfect harmony harmony, in unity. The only thing that can bring us together is our love for one another. But not just our love. We have to experience God and his love for us so that we know what type of love to give to other people. So it binds us all together in harmony. It doesn't cause division. And then he says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be Thankful. Let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. Let me tell you something else idols do. Idols cause chaos. Idols cause chaos. So as you're dealing with these questions, ask, is this causing chaos in an area in my life? Because Christ brings peace, not chaos. An affair in a marriage, brings chaos, brings division. Stuff that we idolize brings chaos in our minds. Food, overeating, brings chaos because we're not happy with ourselves. Starving ourselves because of self-image doesn't bring us peace. It brings us chaos in our mind. Idols cause chaos, not peace. And then we come to the part that Brandon talked about last week. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So we need community. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And I want you to catch this. In everything we do, we do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. So that means when we wake up, when we 
go to work, when we relate with our spouse in our words and our deeds, we do everything in the name of Lord Jesus. Now, let me, let me share you a quote from a book called Gods at War. And I recommend this book because it's by a pastor named Kyle Eidelman, which is kind of weird, talking about idols, destroying the heart, uh, destroying the idols of the heart. And if you've had a hard time identifying uh, idols in your life, this book will help you tremendously. But it's called God's at War by Kyle Eidelman. And this first one, I just want us to be able to practice this first quote. Uh, maybe if you leave here today or, or wake up tomorrow morning, think through this quote. Because I think it will help you identify some idols. He says, God has given us the use of his resources for a short time on earth, here on earth. And we have uh, much to be grateful for. Go through your day sometime just recognizing that everything is God's. Get out of God's bed and walk into God's bathroom and turn on God's shower and then put on God's clothes. Eat God's cereal and drink God's coffee. Get in God's car and head to work. When we start to see all of our resources as God's, it helps us develop an attitude of gratitude or thankfulness that leads to the heart of worship. Like, do this, practice this in the morning. And this is, this is what I want to lay out for you because anything that you walk through life in a resource that God's given to you, which is everything here on earth, anything created was given to us, the moment that we say, no, that is mine versus God's is the moment that we start idolizing creation more than the creator. Like, let's walk through this. Like, my spouse... I love to say is my spouse, right? Like I, we got married July 14th of 2001. She became my wife. But in reality, she is not mine. She is a blessing that's been given by the creator of this universe for me to walk through life together with, to raise children together with, to, to learn to love like Jesus loved the church, to learn to forgive, to learn to seek forgiveness from. Like she is a blessing to me, but she's not mine. First and foremost, she is a child of God. And the moment that any word or deed treats her as something different from the child of God is the moment that she becomes mine and I elevate her in the wrong position. And she becomes an idol. Because nothing in this world is mine. My children aren't mine. I don't even want to claim them sometimes. But God has given us blessings his children, to raise and to teach. But they're not mine. They're his. Everything in this world is his, including my body. Because he lives in the temple. And so I have to realize that this resource is not my own. And I should take care of it. I should exercise. Because God was pretty specific in the Old Testament how the temple should look like and be clean. And I can guarantee you it's not easy to clean a temple. I don't even like cleaning my house. But it's, it's work that has to be done that, that honors and glorifies God in our body. Jesus puts it this way. When the moment that we start worshiping a resource is the moment that we start storing up treasure. In Matthew 6, he says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't store up, don't bury treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, 
where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I want to land on this verse because I think it comes back around to what we idolize and where our heart is. Because remember, idols are our heart's desires. And so if our treasures are here on earth, if we've taken something created and we've allowed ourselves to treasure it, to store it, to bury it, then we start to idolize it. We understand treasure. We understand treasure. We, watch, we love to watch Pirates of the Caribbean and, and get the idea of buried treasure somewhere and to find that and to open it up and to find this ridiculous amount of wealth that we can hoard to ourselves. But what does it mean to treasure? What does it mean to treasure in heaven, store up self's treasures in heaven? Well, let's go back again to the very first commandment. The thing that we are told to do here on earth is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Like it is to love him. It is to get to know him. It is to get to understand him. It's get to allow him to reveal more of himself to me so that I change and look more like him. I want to relate it to a spouse again because again, this is the best way that we can see how a relationship should be on earth between God and us. My spouse, I should love her with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Like if I use that in my wedding vows, people would be crying all over the place. But that's the type of relationship we should have. And if I, on July 14th of 2001, came and entered into a covenant relationship with my wife, marriage, and then at that point said, you know what? It's been great. Let's stay married but let's live in separate houses. Let's do our separate things. Let's not talk. Let's not get to know one another. Fast forward to when we're 85 and we happen to be in the same nursing home together and we're wheeling past each other in wheelchairs. Am I going to know her? No. I won't know her from Eve because I've not fully loved her. I've not loved her with my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so let's take it to this idea of God. Like in church, we always hear, hey, why don't you come forward, say the prayer, allow God to forgive you, and you're good. You're, you've got a relationship with him now. You're in heaven is yours. But at that point, you enter into a covenant relationship with God, and then you go your separate ways. You never learn anything more about him. You never allow him to change you. You never allow him to teach you. You don't read to get to know him better. You don't spend time with him. You don't pray. You don't talk. And one day, in eight, when you are 85 years old and you meet him in that heavenly nursing home, you're going to cross paths and he's going to say, depart from me because I didn't know you. The one way the very first thing that we can store up treasure in heaven is to realize how important our relationship with God is on earth. It is to, with all that we are, to work at 
loving him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to getting, him, to getting to know him more today than I did yesterday, to allowing him to change my heart more today than he did yesterday. It is to getting to know intimately our creator so that we don't worship creation, anything here on earth. That is how we store up our first treasure in heaven so that one day we will hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. The other things that we can store up into heaven are relationships here on earth. Now, I'm not talking about a marriage relationship. Our marriage is created, and it won't be in heaven. Like, I'm not going to be married to my spouse in heaven. I know that's weird to think about because it's what we desire here on earth, but marriage isn't in heaven. My relationships with my kids aren't going to be that they're my kids because our bodies are are. Our roles here on earth will not be there because they are created. What will be there is our souls, what God has redeemed, what God has changed. And I can guarantee you what I want in heaven is to spend eternity worshiping God with my spouse. I want to spend eternity worshiping God with my kids. I want to spend eternity worshiping God with my friends and family, with people that I've gotten to know. And so why do you think that the first thing that God says, Jesus says when he leaves is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them because that's how we store up treasures in heaven. We don't go and make converts. Salvation isn't it. He makes disciples walk through life with one another, admonish one another, teach one another, See God from one another's perspective. Live in community because community, the biggest community we'll ever live in is heaven. So the way we store up treasures in heaven are two ways. Our relationship with God and a relationship with other people. It's disciple. So I don't know what your treasures are. I don't know what your idols are. But I want to give you another way to look at it real quick. Kyle Adelman, again, writes in his book, God's at War. He says, if you constantly complain, okay, if you constantly complain about what kind of year your team is having, maybe sports has become your God. Now, I know a lot of you are complaining that the the Dallas Cowboys are not in the Super Bowl tonight. But what we complain about reveals what really matters to us. Whining shows what has power over us. Whining, in many ways, is the opposite of worshiping the Lord. Worship is when we glorify God for who He is and acknowledge what He has done for us. But whining is ignoring what God is and forgetting what He has done for us. So I don't know what you complain about. I don't know what you whine about. But I've got some treasures here that we can talk through real quick. And the very first one, let's say sports, since that's what he talked about. I mean, do you complain about sports too much? Do you complain when your kid doesn't play sports too much? Do you complain when your kid loses a game? Like, has sports become an idol? Have you allowed it to, to become just excess in your life? So much so that it's become an idol. Self-image, right? Like, do you complain about your self-image? I don't look like the perfect person. I don't look like them. I'm not... I'm not as attractive as them. I don't, get, I don't get all the guys looking at me as I walk by. I don't get all the girls looking at me. And so have you idolized your self-image? Have you gone so far that all you do is exercise and eat healthy, but you don't provide any nourishment for your soul? Or do you starve to death, not really 
taking care of the temple? Self-image. Is it something you complain about? Something you whine about? Food. Is food something that you whine about or complain about? I don't have enough. I don't have enough food or I don't have what I like. I don't, I don't have like what I want. I'm hungry. I'm starving. Brandon said this last week, right? That our kids say I'm starving and they have no clue what it means to starve. But we may have idolized food when we complain that we don't have enough. Money, our job, our income. Do you complain that you don't have enough money? Do you complain you have too much? I don't know if that's possible. But do we complain that we're not, we're not content with what God has provided for us? What about your job? Do you complain because you're not the next person in line for the um, promotion? Do you complain because you've been in the same job for 30 years? Do you complain about your coworkers? What do you complain about? Do you complain, I've got a movie here, because this is how I escape. This is how I spend my time. Do you complain because you don't have enough time to do something? Oh, man, I come home, I go to work, I come home, I sacrifice, I, I give homework, I, I do homework with the kids, I, I make sure I give time to my spouse, and I just don't have time for myself. Do you complain about time? Do you complain about, not, about having too much time? I have no friends to go do something with. I just sit at home all day. Do we complain about time? Do we complain about our education? I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. Do we complain about our kids' education? Oh, they got to be they got to be Valley Victorian or it's you're the first loser. Like do we complain about our education, about our intellect, about our knowledge? I don't know enough. I'm dumb. Do we complain about our talents and our abilities? Like God, why didn't you give me certain things? Why didn't you make me a rock star? I should be up here on stage performing for you. God, why haven't you been able to allow me to use the things I like to do? Do we complain about our talents and our abilities? Do we complain about our family? About our kids? About our spouse? They just don't love me like they should. They just don't do what I ask. Do we complain about them to other people? Because what we complain about could show what we're idolizing in our lives. One last quote. And I hope that you can just wrestle with these things after the service and throughout the week because I know I'm going to. Where is your sanctuary? Where is your sanctuary? Where do you go when you're hurting? Let's say it's been a terrible day at the office and you come home and go, where? Do you go to the refrigerator for comfort food like ice cream or a banana? I don't consider that comfort food, but do you go to the phone? Here's a big one. Do you go to the phone to vent with your most trusted friend? Do you go to social media to make yourself look good? Do you spend way too much time on this? Where do you go? Do you seek escape in novels or movies or books or video games or pornography? Where do you go? 
Where do you look for an emotional rescue? Do you look at your family? Do you look at exercise, sports, releasing anger? Do you go to money because it will make you happy? Where do you go for emotional rescue? The Bible tells us that God is our refuge and strength, our help in times of trouble, so much so that we will not fear though the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. That strikes me as a good place to run. But it's so easy to forget, so easy for us to run in other directions. Where we go says a lot about who we are. The high ground we seek reveals the geography of our values. Let me say it another way. The high ground, the idols, the comfort that we run to identify the treasures of our heart. Where are you storing up treasures? Is it something created? Or is it the creator himself? I pray that we wrestle with it this week. Let's pray. God, I thank you for today. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for who you are. God, I pray that you help us to learn and know and and love you more so that you can transform who we are. God, I pray that you uh, tear down any idols in our lives so that we can be a better reflection of you to a broken world. God, I pray that you reveal to us our heart's desires and where they lie, where we have stored up treasures. And I ask that you take them out and reveal them so that we can come before you and seek forgiveness. We can seek others and, and forgive them and, and ask for forgiveness, God. I just pray that you show us the idols in our lives today. And I pray that you help us steward every resource you've given us well. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.